everyone, and welcome to episode four of The Deer Horn, a Seattle Lombard podcast for the curious and committed. I've had this episode in the bag for a little while now, but uh, I've been procrastinating because we talked quite a bit about the Dindat and Dudero Stuber in this episode, and, and I got one recently, and I wanted to put some time in with it before I did this intro just to talk about it a little bit, so... Yeah, it's a magical piece. It is the one thing like I've found now that I have some time with plum butter and cocoa and and the Sid. It brings back the complete innocence of when I first started modular, like not having a clue what anything does. And like all Seat Lombard instruments, it is just an absolute world of texture. I've posted a few clips on my Instagram if you want to check out what it's doing and uh, I've been basically running a bunch of my old tracks that I did and kind of didn't know what to do with through the Stuber in hopes that I can get some extra detail and turn them into something so we'll see how that goes. And uh, speaking of music on my end, I have released two EPs on Bandcamp. One is one that I did for the Source of Uncertainty podcast uh, using a Buchla Music Easel and processing it through uh, Plum Butter and Coco Quanis. The other one is um, just a, two super long generative pieces that I made with a, a Bug Brand, a Coco Quanis, and, uh, or sorry, a Bug Brand system, a Coco Quanis, and an OTO BAM. And I have no plans of ever starting a Patreon or anything. This podcast is what it is. Uh, I don't want to take on any extra workload or have to provide you with anything. You know, I just I just want to do this, make it about the artists, the guests that we have on, and hopefully you all dig that. So if you do want to support the podcast at all, I'd, I'd love if you checked out my music on Bandcamp. And uh, even if you don't pay, if you just listen to it and maybe it's for you, maybe it's not that's fine. The reason I bring that up and why this is perfect timing though is that the bug brand system I used and the BAM and the easel on the other album I got from today's guest, uh, Mr. Paperbark himself. I got to know him through uh, our first guest, Joe Millar, and uh, I wouldn't say me and John have been friends, but we, we keep in touch, you know, fairly regularly, and I'm happy to take all of his gear off his hands because he has great taste and uh, normally when I do these intros I do a, a plum butter jam you know I make a new plum butter patch for every episode and then I do a Sidrax kind of ambient piece for the conversations that's a little bit different this time and what you're hearing below me is from a little project called remote feed and Remote Feed is a collaboration between our first guest, Fern Lodge, Joe Millar, and today's guest, Paperbark. And uh, it's a great release. Uh, before I got around to doing this, there was some cassettes left, but there isn't now, unfortunately. But if you want to find that, um, I will put a link to their Bandcamp in the uh, description here. And if you're fans of both their music, it's a super fun listen because you, you're just kind of like, is that a Joe thing? Is that a Paperbark thing? It's really fun. Another thing I wanted to mention is that I've got some plans to expand this concept of this podcast a little bit in the new year. So instead of just talking to artists, um, 
the next episode we have a DIYer is going to be our guest and uh, we'll get into the nitty gritty of paper circuits and that whole world um, I've reached out to some other businesses uh, that's deeply involved in the Seattle Lombard universe and we might even venture into the world of Surge a little bit because uh, as, as a fan of a lot of the other podcasts out there there's quite a few people and you know, you know builders and artists in the Surge universe that I'd love to talk with as well and and I hope that if this does happen that you all continue to listen and find it interesting. So in this chat with John, uh, we talk quite a bit about growing up on hip-hop, uh, how he loves to play with the stereo field, some of his early gear choices, which I didn't know a lot of them, and that's saying something. I thought I had an eclectic taste, but he's uh, severely proved me wrong. We talk a lot about Again, uh, some of Peter's early instruments and historical gear. Uh, We even talk about a custom piece that John had made that he believes uh, may be the only one in existence. He no longer has it, but uh, it was basically two plum butters, um, a Coca Quanis, and a Rolzer built into one box, basically. Peter made it on planks or something, I believe he said. So that was pretty cool. And we also talk about how he composes with an Octatrack. And of course, his new album, Boris Close. Um, John talked to me a while after we did this interview and said that there was a lot of stuff that he wished he had covered. And he wanted me to give a shout out to some of the folks in Denver who supported him, put on shows and, and helped him get started and became great friends. So. Just want to give a shout out to Entrancer, J. Hamilton Isaacs, French Kettle Station, Midwife, H. Light or Halit, I'm not sure how you say that, Church Fire, Mirror Fears, Skyrider, Kurta, Sean, Man Made Madman, Tom Murphy, and the entire Rhinoceropolis crew. So, John just wanted me to give a shout out to all you guys on behalf of him, and that is that. So, without further ado, let's take a quick listen to a track off of his most recent Forest Clothes and jump right into our chat. music <laughs> oh yeah right <laughs> i put out like one album a year so what are you talking about <laughs> well it feels like forest clothes came like right after uh barely lit to me oh really oh interesting yeah normally i put out i try to shoot for fall for some reason and you know i don't know if it's a change of season or what kind of prompts that but um yeah, I don't know. I tend to put stuff out in the fall. Maybe it's because I have summers off because I'm a teacher and I can just like crank out a bunch of music, you know? It's funny, too, because apart from all those like real-life reasons, it seems like your music also suits the weather of fall quite well. 
Yeah, no, I, I could see that. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I've had other people mention that as well. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, thank you. It's funny. I was at my friend's last night, and he has, like, a super hi-fi stereo. And we put on Barely Lit, and there was one track uh, where you have this, like, hard pan to the right kind of clicky reverberated sound and he started tripping because mm-hmm. he's like like we were sat dead center in front of the speakers and he's like that sound is coming from the kitchen and it's like six feet in the air <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious yeah i i like to mess with like the stereo field quite a bit whether it's kind of panning from left to right with lfos or or just putting something far left or far right. I don't know. I, I, I don't really have a reason for it, I guess. Um, I just, I enjoy the experience. I like the experience of like, you know, you're, you're hearing sounds, but it's like, wait a second, where am I hearing this from? You know? And, um, so it's, it's kind of been a part of my work for a while. I said, it was so funny. Cause like, he, like we're sitting dead center in the stereo field and he's like, pointing up into the other room (laughs) (laughs) nice yeah was the sound more of kind of a textural sound or like a a percussion sound yeah it was just like a click with reverb it almost sounded like like throwing a pebble into the water or something oh nice yeah no it was really cool and like that was one of the reasons actually this guy that i was with last night he was the one that introduced me to your music a few years back and uh oh okay yeah do i know the person no he's a local guy here i don't think you'd know him but yeah he introduced me to your music and uh i've been a fan ever since interesting well i appreciate that tell him thank you yeah he said uh for me to tell you he said hi so this is hi from denny (laughs) from denny does he have does is he on like instagram or twitter or something yeah he's on instagram as Laturbo. he's not doing a ton with music right now but i mean he's uh he's one of those guys that's super deep into listening to a lot of good music and stuff and he has a, a surge system and and he had an easel for a while but just kind of became a dad you know Mm-hmm. life's getting in the way of that yeah exactly for sure um would you mind telling me a little bit about where you grew up and how that led to getting into music so I grew up in um, a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota here. Um, and yeah, growing up, uh, like early on, like pretty much all I listened to was hip hop. Um, that was kind of my jam from the time I was, I would say, how old was I? Probably 11 until I was 21 or so, I would say. And that's that's literally all I listened to. Like I wouldn't even like open the door to any other genres and this was back in like mid 90s you know early to mid 90s when you know Nirvana was big and um I'm trying to think of who are some of the other big ones that people were listening kind of like heavy metal was big too and I just kind of went against the grain a bit and just really dug into hip-hop and um and yeah I was kind of I was kind of the oddball in the suburbs there because you know i grew up with you know i'm white but a bunch of white people and nobody listened to hip-hop and so i was kind of this kind of a black sheep in some ways um but i kind of embraced that 
so um yeah so i just i kind of exposed people to hip-hop and new hip-hop and just um yeah and then it kind of took off in the suburb there and i didn't make any music i was I, you know i kind of for a while i thought about getting into like scratching and like turntable style music i was into i don't know if you know any of that kind of music but like dj qbert or like the turntablist um do you know any of that stuff by chance i'm not real familiar but that's what i was gonna ask like were you more deep into hip-hop and like eclectic stuff or were you into like suburban (laughs) hip-hop No, yeah, and that's that was the thing that kind of set me apart because once you know, like Snoop Dogg and Notorious B.I.G., um, when they kind of started to blow up back in like you know '93 or '94, I mean, yeah, I had it, and I listened to it, but I was always into finding kind of that underground um, stuff that nobody had ever heard before. And there's a place um, here in Minneapolis called Electric Fetus. And uh, I got to know this guy, Slug, from Atmosphere. He worked there. Do you know Atmosphere at all? Nope. Okay. So they're a local hip-hop group here in Minneapolis, and they've kind of blown up over the years. But long story short, he worked at Electric Fetus, and he would just kind of expose me to all this new music. And so, you know, I started to kind of dabble into all these kind of underground movements. There were these mixtapes that were going around by all these, like, New York DJs that would kind of get these like underground rappers to kind of freestyle over some beats and I just really got into that and it was just you know I really got into that kind of like lo-fi production um, tape sound Um, yeah and it just really turned me on and and I never actually dabbled into turntable music. That was the sad thing. I was super close a couple times to get some turntables and start scratching and playing around with that. And I just never did. But my, you know, my passion for music evolved over the years, you know. And like I said, I went from hip hop and then probably early college, I was introduced to uh, Boards of Canada. And that just really opened the door to all new styles of music for me um that band too is like um sorry to cut you off is like it's a perfect example of combining what you were into with what you're about to be into (laughs) yeah exactly no for sure and you know what drew me to boards of canada was you know they kind of had these hip-hop-esque beats they were very lo-fi um and so it was kind of a natural progression you know and then uh yeah, just kind of got into all different styles from like kind of like folky ambient stuff by like the microphones and um, and yeah, just kind of evolved and changed. And pretty soon I was like, you know what? I got to be about like, what was I, probably 28, 29. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a sampler. And so I started with an MPC. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> And then I realized, like, okay, it's cool that I have a sampler, but, like, I don't have any sounds for the sampler, you know? So I was just using these kind of stock sounds and, you know, making beats and just kind of tapping away. And and then I started dabbling in this sense. And I got, like, what was my first one? I think it was a Korg Electribe. It was this old Electribe. And uh, it just kind of took off from there. 
That's funny. I think the Electribe, the blue one with the tubes, was one of the first things I ever got as well. Yeah, that was the exact model that I had, the blue one with the tubes. Um, and I didn't particularly like it. I didn't, yeah, I was not like blown away by it. Or, you know, it was just more like, wow, this is interesting. And there's some cool sounds in this. I wonder what other kind of synths are out there, you know? And so I just started researching and yeah, I just I think I got one of they get after that, like a Nord lead. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know how far you want me to go with this. No, keep going, yeah. man. This is great. Okay. So yeah, I got a Nord lead and I enjoyed that. I like the kind of the architecture of that synth versus the Electribe. You know, the Electribe is much more of just a kind of a groove box, semi-menu, divey, button combination type thing where the, the lead was a lot more hands-on. And I really appreciated that. Just sit down, tweak it, find new sounds. I don't have to worry about a sequencer or anything. I can just have this thing thrown and just make sounds. Um, and I appreciated that. And then it kind of went, and then what did I get after that? I got like a Studio Electronics code. You know what that is? I don't. Okay, it's like this rack mount synth that you can like customize. So it started out as a four voice, but you can get up to like eight voices. And then it has all these different filter types from like the ARP filter, the Moog filter, the Oberheim, the CS80. Um, so you could really customize it and that thing just blew me away. Yeah, like, that sounds dope. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, I had, uh, I don't know if you know the Genox Nemo, you know the Genox sequencer, do you know their stuff? Uh, I know of that thing. I'm not super familiar with it, but... Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I have the pronunciation right or not, but I, I really enjoyed the two of those together. And then... You know, just more and more research, watching videos. I didn't know anybody at the time. I literally knew, I didn't know anybody who was playing with synths. I was just kind of like doing my own thing. And uh, I came across Metasonics. Um, they made this, it was the S1000, the infamous name of the Wretch machine, which was a, it was a tube synth. And it was semi-modular, and that was kind of my first foray into modular sense and i was talking to again i didn't know anybody and i didn't know about muff wiggler at the time and so i didn't know where to get any advice so i literally called up sean from analog haven and was just like asking him questions i was like yeah i want this synth you know what else would i need to you know really take advantage of what it has to offer and then he mentioned, you know, hey, you might want to get like a small Eurorack case so you can kind of interface, um, sequence, have some effects, have some CV to run into the the Metasonics. And so then I got like a little 6U doper case. And when was this around, John? This was, let me think here. This is probably, probably like 2008. Okay. Yeah. So quite a while ago. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, it's around maybe 2009, right around at that time. But uh, and then and then I got you know he told me about Muff Wiggler, so I got on the forum, and it was funny because then I just met a ton of people, and that's when 
the doors really started to open up. I met people locally. I met people all over the world. And I've made friends with people on there that, you know, I've never met in person, but some of them are some of my best friends, you know. And Fern Lodge, Joe, you know quite well. Him and I met there. Super inspired by his music, and we've just become, you know, really good friends over the years. So, um, yeah, it's been a fun process, you know, starting with this sampler with literally just a blank slate and no sounds to, you know, obviously, all you know, you, you know, my studio. It's a revolving door of since all the times that we talk. Of, yeah, a lot of times they come in my door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Seems to be that way, doesn't it? It's funny you mentioned like the community thing. Like I talked about that on the episode I did with Joe. Like he's one of my best friends. Never met him in person. It's so weird. Oh, you haven't met him either. No, I've never met him. It's crazy. I figured you guys had crossed paths a few times. No, no, we haven't. And like I was thinking too, I'd imagine back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Like, Muff Wiggler still feels like a pretty tight community, but back then, I, I bet it was even tighter. Yeah, no, it was much more, it was much smaller. and um, You know, people, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to trash on the forum because I love the forum, and it's got so many great resources there. It's just, it's big now, you know, and there's a lot of people, and it's just not as, how do I want to put it, maybe not quite as refined. It's a little bit more sprawling. Totally. I feel like. Uh-huh. Um, and the people are still great. It's not like the people are bad. The no. people are great. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's it's harder to really make those deep connections now because there's so many people on there. Um, and so for me, yeah, like I don't see myself making as many connections on Wiggler that I used to. Instead, it's on like Twitter and Instagram is where I'm connecting with more folks these days yeah it's crazy like for our community instagram just seems like endless absolutely yeah no for sure um instagram you know i used to do a lot more videos on there and i've you know i haven't been doing that much over the last year or two but um it really helped kind of give me some exposure you know what little exposure i have but I've been just been able to meet and make connections with people on there and kind of build a this kind of like lo-fi ambient community of like-minded people on Instagram. So it's been kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's amazing for that. Um, I wanted to ask. <clears throat> I found I, I talked to you about this before, but I found a track of yours. I don't know if it was SoundCloud or something on Muff Wiggler, like an old post where you had like kind of boards of canada trip hoppy sort of beats on it did i dream that or is that a real thing like did you start out that way yeah i'm trying to think yeah i'm trying to think of what song it was but yeah if i remember correctly it was probably on this like my buddy had a friend in france who was putting out a compilation and they're pretty much willing to put out whatever and whoever so i was like sure i'll make a track and yeah at first i was kind of doing a little bit more beat-oriented stuff. Um, I was drawn to that for at that time. And, uh, yeah, I was like, if I remember correctly, if, that, if I'm thinking of the song, I had... Do you remember the Swamatron? Uh, nope. <laughs> okay. So these guys out of New York called Dewanatron, they built these 
they're kind of like art pieces, I would say, the best way to put it. But they're they're, they're literally built by hand. Um, two guys in their garage. Um, and what it is, it's like this crazy, like, it looks like this, like, vintage, I don't even know, from like the 1930s. I don't know how you describe it. Not even like a synth, but it was like it had two ribbon controllers, one to control pitch, and then the other one would control the filter. Was the pitch, like, continuous, so you had to, like, basically play it perfectly to get... Yeah, it wasn't... It definitely was not a... I mean, it was a fun synth to play, but if you're looking for, like, precise notes, absolutely not, you know? So... But it just had this character to it that no other synth that I've owned could even come close to touching... And I miss it quite a bit, but it's really a one-trick pony. But back to the the song. The song was was mostly this um, swarmatron just kind of droning, um, and then just kind of this slow drone evolving texture of the swarmatron with like a beat behind it. If I remember correctly, does that sound right? That sounds about right. Yeah, and so uh, you know, so I was kind of back then. You know, I, I think I made a couple tracks. I had a wired 300 system, a pretty big one. It was, it was like 11 panels of wired 300. And I, uh, I met somebody on the forum that uh, put out a compilation of wired, wired uh, pieces. And so I submitted a track to that. And this is a funny story. Um, this guy lived in Denver at the time. And at the time, I was in Minneapolis. And we, you know, we casually knew each other on the forum, but we weren't that tight. And then I moved out to Denver a little while later, and now I'm going into something totally different. But long story short, um, I started playing shows out there. Um, you know, I got kind of connected with the right people, started playing shows. And next thing you know, like I'm on this bill with this guy named Bugging Trancer. Um, and I was like, boy, I know that sound. I know that name. And so I show up to the show, and he just killed it. And said, like, he makes some of the best music I've heard, and he just crushed it. And then I played, and I didn't know him at the time. We didn't. I didn't know like he was the guy that put up this compilation. I didn't, you know, I didn't know any of that. And so after I played, he came up to me and was like, "Oh my God, dude! Like, where did you come from? Like, you know, basically just blown away by my music." And next thing you know, we're like, "Wait a second." We put out this compilation I was on years ago. And we just, yeah, we, we suddenly hit it off and we became just great friends. Um, Dave's like one of my best friends now. And it, I don't know, it's just kind of a cool story of like, I'm playing on the bill with this guy and I kind of know this name. And, and then after it's like, holy cow, yeah, we do know each other. And yeah, it was just kind of a fun story. Is that compilation still out there somewhere, John? Yeah, it's out there. Um, he, I think his label was called Laser Palace, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, I think it's on Bandcamp. But at the time, I was playing under a different name um, called Back Team. So it was like B-A-C-T-E-N-E. Um, and there were, I mean, yeah, there were some elements of Paper Bark in that, but it was, it, it was different. It was a different sound. It was a lot more experimental and just uh yeah i i didn't like play with any within any constraints i was just kind of like you know letting it ride in the studio hit record and see what comes out of this you know and while i'm turning knobs 
That's the best, though. What's that? I said, that's the best, though. Like, sometimes I miss that complete uh, feeling of being naive to everything. No, yeah, same here. I I miss that, too. And I, I play around with the idea of going back to that and, you know, putting out some releases that are a little bit more kind of rough around the edges and less refined. Um, but I don't know. I just... I don't know. I just haven't done it for whatever reason. <laughs> well, you've been busy putting out paperback stuff, so that's part of a reason. Yeah, no, for sure. But, you know, I've got all this stuff sitting on my computer that I could, I mean, I could put put out a bunch of albums like tomorrow if I wanted to. But just, you know, I'm, I'm such a critic of my stuff. And I, whether it's this or my teaching or my writing just really critical of myself and so it's hard for me to to actually like put something out and be happy with it um i would say you know overall yeah i'm pretty happy with my paper bark stuff but at the same time you know i i i have a lot of reservations you know as i'm like oh boy we're sending out the masters i don't know if this is quite ready yet like uh, there's this here that I need to play with or that there and you know I've just learned to kind of put all that aside and just you know just put it out try not to worry about it too much um, but I can't take that I just haven't been able to take that last step and put out these totally unrefined pieces where it's just me you know turning knobs in the studio um, so we'll see maybe at some point you know like I've done a bunch of collaborations with people too that um, I've thought about putting out like this kind of like album of all these collaborations I've done with people that are again just sitting here on my computer because um, I'm super proud of some of it but part of it is like you know some of these other artists they've kind of gone on to do bigger and better things so it's like well I don't know if I can take credit for this when they played a big role in this too you know so it's like uh, so I don't know We'll see. Well, to all the listeners, if you want to start uh, banging on John's door, he's got a lot of music we haven't heard. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, maybe I need that extra push. Maybe that's it. You know, maybe I need people to tell me, like, just put it out. I want to hear it. Don't worry about it. You know? Well, it's interesting because, like, I just had my first release ever um, just last week, which was just an EP. And mm-hmm. I, I totally relate to everything you're saying, but now that something's finally come out, I'm like, oh, it wasn't that hard. Like, I still don't think it's perfect. I still don't think it's the best thing I'm ever going to do or anything, but it's out there. It's fine. Like, either people are going to like it or they're not going to care. Like, I don't know why as artists we always build it up in our head that this thing's going to make or break us, you know? Totally. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially for what we're doing, you know, realistically, you know, like not trying to make a living off this, no. just trying to do my thing and have fun. And, you know, I, I, I always tell myself, like, don't take this so seriously. You know, you're just doing it for yourself. You're just doing it to have fun. And, you know, it, it, it provides some uh, comfort for me too, you know, while I'm creating it and um, kind of not only creating kind of the original soundscapes, but then also putting it all together 
into a unified piece. It, it does bring me a sense of comfort in that process. And I think I just need to kind of hold on to that feeling um, and just cherish that feeling as much as I can instead of having that anxiety of like, oh boy, here it comes. What are people going to think? Oh my goodness. Whoa, what am I getting into here? You know, and for a long time I was, you know, early on, I was working with this guy named Soul out of uh, Denver, who's a rapper, who's part of this Anacon label. I don't know. Do you know Anacon at all? I no, so. but I mean, like, no. a lot of the listeners could, right? I'm in Canada, but I'd imagine a lot of people are American or all over the world. So if I don't know, they might. Yeah, and so long story short, you know, he really blew up with this Anacon collective back in the day. I've been a big fan of his for many years and I just put, I was just finished up my first album and I, I messaged him on, or I forgot what he said. He said something like, Oh yeah, I'm going to put out a label here for, for just for Denver folks. And I didn't know him at the time. And I was just like, Oh yeah, I put out a, you know, I'm just finishing up an album. Here's a track on SoundCloud. And he messaged me and we, became great friends he put out my music and he's like one of my best friends now but long story short he really really pushed me to um like hit up all these blogs and try to get your name out there and um really work hard at um trying to build my brand of paper bark which which was great for me at the time but then i, I just i hit a wall with it and part of it was him kind of coaching me over the over time but part of it was like why am i wasting all my time like hitting up these blogs that don't even read my emails and don't care about what i'm doing you know like does it even matter if someone writes about me or not you know and so then i just kind of put all that aside and i was like i'm not gonna waste my time with that and uh just started yeah putting it out and then boris from Sale uh, hit me up years ago as he was just starting the label, and um, I was a fan of his music, and so it was like, yeah, no, this seems like a good fit to go with Sale here, and um, yeah, that label's fantastic. He's done, he just does such a great job aesthetically, and um, he's got such a good like social media push that people just they they hear it and they find out about it and they support me, so it's been wonderful to to meet boris and become friends with him and you know austin too i mean austin and i have been friends for quite a while we met through muff wiggler but um you know and heinbach like all those guys have been really good for me and just great assets great teachers great people to bounce ideas off of um and and joe is you know been indispensable like his knowledge of of music theory if there is music theory and ambient music <laughs> but just for him to be a soundboard and just really help me just refine my sound even more over the years is, like he's i would say like yeah those guys have been great to like um help push me help influence me and help give me some advice but joe's been my like rock you know joe's been kind of the guy i can go to when i'm like having a breakdown in the studio and not sure what to do 
Joe can be my shoulder to, to lean on and really help me out. So he's been wonderful. Yeah, he's been the exact same thing for me. I don't think I would have ever shared anything in my life if it wasn't for him. Yeah, no, I think so too. I mean, early on, yeah, like I think my first two albums, like he he listened to them with, with such a with such dedication and knowledge and he would literally like write a paragraph about each song about like feelings he had suggestions and what worked what didn't work and yeah like i said just having that or especially early on was so huge for me so thank you joe if if you're listening out there (laughs) yeah that's a double thank you joe you're the best yeah exactly you know so so when did Siet Lombard come on your radar? And what I mean by that is like, when did you first hear about it and become curious? So I first heard about it. Um, my buddy here in Minneapolis, um, he goes by Bunk Data. He's He's got a really cool net label called Dark Winter, by the way. It's all free. Just check out his stuff. But he's a big Siet Lombard head. And long story short, he just mentioned it to me like, like oh yeah i came across this company you know and this was i think at the time you know he might have done like some what i'm saying he peter might have done some kind of one-off pieces here and there for friends or for different like you know art shows or whatever um but he came out with the coco Qantas, and at the time it was you know it had screws um and it was it was a totally different aesthetic to what it is now. And I just looked at it, and because we were looking at it online, and he didn't have one, and I didn't have one, and we just looked at it, and we looked at it, and we're like, wow, yeah, like I need to get this. I don't even care what this thing does. Like that thing is beautiful. So did a little bit more research and found out, like, oh, okay, well, it's a delay, and it can kind of do longer delays, kind of granular type stuff, and. I was like, yeah, let's give this thing a shot. And I got it. And I had no idea what I was doing with this thing. I was completely over my head. And all I was getting was pure noise out of it, you know? (laughs) So um, I liked the look of it in my studio. It looked great. And smelled. What's that? And smelled. And smell, yeah, exactly. But I just, I couldn't connect with it. Um, And so... You know, me being this kind of revolving door of gear, you know, I gave it a little time. And then at some point, my buddy here in Minneapolis, like, well, if you're not connecting with it, you know, if you want to sell it, he's like, I'd be happy to take it. And so he bought it for me. And then he, uh, he really opened the door for me because then he showed me like, oh, this is what you can do with it. And um, really kind of showed me how to play the Coco Qantas. Um, and so the Coco Qantas was obviously the starting point. And then soon after he got the first uh, plum butter, the V1 plum butter, same thing. When that arrived in his studio, it was just like, oh my God, that thing is beautiful. And the sounds we're getting out of this are so interesting and different. And his, Peter's machines, are, they just have this mystery to them. You know, they were so mysterious and, um, and then he was kind of patching them together and we were just getting these textures and sounds that I just never heard before. And so then I was like, you know what? 
maybe I need to revisit this. And so then I got, um, so then I, I got a plum butter and I got a, uh, the banana version. This was now the newer version, the banana version of the cocoa. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, those two together were like a dream come true for me. And, uh, playing with those and then uh and then my buddy got one of the first duosks i don't know if you know the duosk i you don't i'd love to hear about it so the duosk peter originally i think it, he made two of them what it was they're custom pieces and so it was a uh, was the old citrazi old tetrazi and then i had the plum butter and the cocoa and it was all in one instrument and so the bars were you know, kind of the keys down below and then the cocoa and the plum butter were up top. So it's kind of angled like L shaped. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so it was all one piece. Um, they were all grounded together. And so you could kind of patch them together. Um, and we just had loads of fun playing that. Um, and at the time I didn't really connect with the Sidrazi and Tetrazi for whatever reason. Um, and I think part of it was this was before the new Sidrax and Tetrax with the the sliders on it. Uh, before that, I think if I remember correctly, it had like a master pitch and noise like the the newer ones. Mm-hmm. But then it had these buttons on the front for each individual bar, and you'd push the button and you'd get like kind of a random pitch. Oh, okay, kind of like how a lot of the shinth patches were. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And so I didn't really connect with those that well, because um, I, I, I felt like I really couldn't control the pitch like I wanted to. Um, and so, long story short, I ended up selling my plum butter and cocoa, and I ended up getting kind of a, a newer version of the Duosk, so to speak. And so what I did is I had Peter build me. It was uh, it was two plum butters, a cocoa, and a rolzer all in this one instrument um but peter made it in a way where it was like two planks so like on one plank i had a a cocoa and plum butter and then on the other plank i had a plum butter and rolzer and then he made these kind of like brackets these l-shaped brackets and then i then i he shipped it to me and then i screwed them into the brackets when they arrived to me um probably have a picture of it somewhere and i know it was just sold probably like six months or a year ago, the guy sold it to ended up selling it. So maybe you saw it at some point. Did it ring a bell? I think maybe, yeah. um, This guy, Melvin Gonzalez, I don't know if you know him, but he posted a picture recently in his Instagram story. And I'm, I'm positive that must've been what it was. Yeah. I think I was the only one who had this. I mean, maybe somebody else has made one after that, but, um, I'm pretty sure I was the only one who had it. And when I had that, it, it just, like, everything came together for me. Not only my love for Fiat Lombard, but, like, like Paper Bark was kind of uh, born out of that, out of that duosk, and I had an easel at the same time. Um, and just kind of the interaction between the two it just, yeah, I, I just never had so much fun patching and playing in the studio. It was just endless fun. I mean, I, the thing I, I appreciate about Peter's instruments 
um, are the fact that you can patch anything anywhere at any time and you can double stack inputs and um, you know I just you, you could just get sounds that you just can't get anywhere else and having two plum butters and the rolls and the cocoa I just had all the CV and gates and randomness and I was just you know kind of a kid in a candy store in some ways just exploring um, and yeah it just uh, like I said it, it really sparked paper bark I feel like um, because of I don't know I think part of it was the easel too because I love that like bukla sound um, that kind of like vintage um, uh, kind of tinny um, timbre that Buchla provides with this like really warm analog FM gooiness that Sia Lombard would combine to create these textures that was just like wow this is this is what I'm looking for um, and so yeah that, that I guess in a roundabout way kind of sparked where I'm at now. So I was reading on, uh, I think, your Muff Wiggler post for your most recent album, Forest Glows. You said something I thought was kind of interesting, how, like, you need the Seat Lombard stuff, but everything else is not as crucial. Like, as long as you have a synth that you gel with or whatever, you can get by. And uh, I think I feel completely the same way since I got into it, like, I don't think I could create without Seat Lombard anymore, but if I have another synth, it could be anything simple, complicated, whatever, I'd manage. And I just thought that was interesting. Uh, would you care to talk about that a little bit? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, for me, it's all about process. Um, and the process from me from getting to you know a bass drum sound on the plum butter to these crazy fm drones on the plum butter um i just can't get that anywhere else i've tried to duplicate it and you know i've owned so many plum butters throughout my life like i can't even tell you because i'll have it for a while and then it'll be like well i mean this is cool and all but you know, for 1300 bucks, maybe I should try something else and try to get a different workflow and see if I could duplicate this in Eurorack or whatever. And I try that, and, and it's like, nope, we can't do it. Just can't do it. And so then I just come back to it again, and then at some point, you know, I'll, I'll hit a wall again, and it's like, ah, oh, maybe I should uh, try something else, you know? And, and it wouldn't even be to try to duplicate the, the plum butter. Um, just to get like try and draw some new inspiration or whatever what what's that i'm sorry oh that's okay i just said like basically looking for another piece to draw some new inspiration or something get the mojo going again yeah, right exactly yeah um because for me it's I, I need to be inspired to be into my to go into my studio it's hard for me just to like sit down and just start playing like i gotta have a drive to go in there um and for me like back to where I was going with this is like that drive was the CL Lombard pieces like I, I need those in my studio to and it's it's not even the sounds 
it's the it's the wood, it's the smell, it's the feel, um, it's the the rainbow colors of bananas. Um, it's the fact that I know that it's one person one person building this synth. Um, it, you know, it's not this machine that's building it. You know, literally P- Peter's using his his sweat to create these instruments. And oh, you just gave me chills. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's something about it that it's inspiring to me, you know, and, you know, I, I dabble with like, well, maybe I should just get like all CL Lombard and just have a couple other just kind of traditional synths on the side, you know? Um, and I've played around with that and I've never actually done it because for me personally, like, I feel like for me and there's other people who can feel differently, but for me, like at some point having too much CL Lombard, it just, I I feel like I I would just kind of lose some inspiration in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like having a more refined setup with the three pieces that I have now. And, you know, I may add a Stuber down the road, um, but it just, it's like the perfect trio for me right now. Um, I just feel like, yeah, the more you, for me, the more I would get, the less satisfied I would be because I'm so satisfied with the three pieces I have, mm-hmm. um, where I feel like I can, get, I can get like another flavor in my studio by going a different route, whether that's like an effect pedal, whether that's, you know, like I picked up an OPZ recently, you know, just something else to to kind of inspire me to to do something different with, um, and so yeah, yeah. It's funny too with like I, I had uh, before I got into Seattle Lumber and stuff. I really had a hard time with digital synths, like anything that didn't have that warm, buttery analog tone. And since. Mm-hmm. I've got like cocoa and plum butter and everything. If I run digital things like say the OP one synths or something into it, it just sounds like good analog to me again. Or even if it sounds digital, it, it adds that little bit of grit where it's like, Oh, this sounds awesome. No, I agree. Absolutely. Um, there's, yeah, there's just something about the way Peter's instruments process other synths that it's just, it's gold to me. Yeah, it's just absolute gold. Um, and I don't use the plum butter as much um, as a processor, a processor as I should. I, I, I always, I always think I'm going to, and I just, I just don't for whatever reason. Um, but I know a lot of people love it for the the filters in there. Um, and I really want to try out that Stuber just because I feel like that could add some texture and sound to my studio that I don't have. Um, I like the deer horn. I did pick up the deer horn for a while and I liked it, but you know, my plum butter has a deer horn in it. The Sidrax does those nice soft tones so well too, um, where I was just, it felt a little redundant for me. Mm -hmm. So I ended up selling that, but I feel like the Stuber, uh, would just add a little bit more of a surprise to the setup, you know, kind of this unexpected processor that can, um, 
hopefully, yeah, kind of bring that joy to patching Sia Lombard gear. Because, um, yeah, just for me, like, the, the deer horn was cool, but I just didn't connect with it that well. And I know a lot of people love it. And, you know, like my buddy Boris Jogging House, he's got one, and he just loves that synth, and he does great work with it. But I just couldn't connect with it. It's funny, because I remember he kind of put out Chance, the album that he did with it. Um, yeah. And was just kind of like, hey, it's the, just this thing and nothing synced and whatever. And I'm like, this is my favorite album he's done by far. Uh-huh, and yeah. I, and I think since it's came out on vinyl, right? Yeah, he did put it out on vinyl, yep. Yeah, that was a good call because it's fantastic. And I'd, I'd love to try and do something along those lines if I ever get a deer horn, but that one's not in my vocabulary yet. The deer horn isn't? No. No? How come? I mean, I may have asked for it for Christmas, <laughs> but um, for me, I'm kind of the opposite of you where, um, like on my release, I just did Plum Butter. I use the three stereo inputs on every single track. Like there was hardly a single sound that was generated from the Plum Butter. It was just it chewing on things that I fed in. And Oh, interesting to tie that to the deer horn the deer horn is the one where like yeah you can use it to do stereo panning when you process the three stereo signals or whatever but it doesn't seem like there's much room apart from the tone of the deer horn to like do any cool audio rate stuff or textural things you know it's like oh i can pan it around but Mm -hmm. no yeah for sure for me yeah i don't know the the gestural part of the deer horn kind of threw me off a bit um it, it wasn't as quite as responsive as I was personally hoping for. Um, but, and, and like I said, the fact that I have one in the plum butter, I feel like just, I, I don't know if I need more than one, you know? Uh-huh. So, and, uh, yeah, that plum butter, I'm just looking at it right now as I'm talking to you. It's just, it's like the dream machine for me. Yeah. Same. I mean, it's it, obviously it's not perfect, but, um, I feel like a lot of, a lot of the kind of, I would say most of the bass that you hear in Paperbark comes from the plum butter. So like any sort of bassy sound, whether it's rhythmic or a drone, for the most part comes from the plum butter. And is that um, gongs usually or? Yeah, yeah, those in the AV dogs, I would say. I mean, I, I use all four of them, really. Right. Um, so, yeah, but the gongs, I mean, you know how low those things can go. Like, the bass on that is just, like, it's almost like subsonic sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, th- for me, like, yeah, I, I just don't know where I would be without the plum butter and cocoa. And, you know, there's been times where it's, like, you know, when I have, like, no inspiration at all to get into the studio. And, unfortunately, I've been feeling that lately. Um sometimes it's like you know what maybe i just need to let these go and just start over and just go with a totally different workflow um but i just can't bring myself to do it (laughs) because i don't think there's anything else out there that would give me the joy of patching that these pieces do um yeah you should ask joe how that worked out every time he's tried to do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly i mean 
Yeah, Joe and I, Joe's probably bought and sold more plum butters and cocos than I have, but I'm probably right there. I mean, I've probably had six or seven different plum butters, I bet. I thought you were rocking two plum butters right now for some reason. No, yeah, I mean, I keep playing around with that idea because when I had that do-off with the two plum butters, that was like the most fun I've had. Um, and I've, you know, thought about selling the Sidrax and just like getting the second plum butter to go with it instead of having the Sidrax because unfortunately, you know, funds are a little tight, so I can't, uh-huh. can't get everything I'd like. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to, to take that step because I love the bars on the Sidrax. I just like touching it and playing it. Um, and I, and I like the same thing with the plum butter, but it's not as, not quite as hands-on as the Sidrax is. So I feel like, you know, two of them, yeah, it'd be great. But having that, the, uh, the bars, being able to like really touch something and it, it really feels like an instrument to me. And not that the plum butter isn't, but it's just a different experience, you know, and when, when my funds are limited, I want to have stuff in the studio that like each piece gives me a different experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's important. It is important. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I guess that's kind of where I'm at right now with everything. So yeah, I was super close though. I was like, man, I'm just going to sell all this stuff and, you know, maybe get like a surge panel or something, but just could bring myself to do it. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's hard decisions to make. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I talk to my friends about it, and they're just like, well, you know, only you can make that decision, you know? And it's just like, no, but I want some input. I want someone to, like, help me make this decision. But truly, nobody can, you know? It's, it's on me, so. Yeah, and, like, no one, even if you tell them, no one truly understands, like, your workflow. Right. Because, like, I know even with myself, like, I get made fun of all the time by my friends for how much I flip gear. And it's like something can come in and I can spend two days with it and know if it's going to continue to provide inspiration or not. And if it doesn't, I'm just going to get rid of it and try something else. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. Like, yeah, for some people, it takes them a lot longer to know. For me, it's give me a couple hours with this and I'll pretty much know. Yeah. Um, like recently I played with, uh, the Korg Arp Odyssey and I, and I had played with one, um, and I've always wanted one, but never actually like played one in the, in person. And my buddy picked one up and I just, yeah, I laid my hands on it for five minutes and it was like, yeah, I think I need to get one of these at some point. <laughs> you know, you just know, you just know, just know. um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, especially when it comes to, like, since when it comes to, like, groove boxes, it's a little different because I feel like you have to really spend some time with them and um, kind of figure out the workflow and uh, the hierarchy and um, how it's going to integrate with my workflow. Um, but I feel with, like, modular synths, yeah, like I can, or just, you know, synths in general, uh, traditional synths, I can... Uh, give me a give me a couple hours and i'll know um so 
Yeah, I'm jealous of all you people that can get along with any groove box. That's always been the link in my studio that's missing. I just... Like, even, like, I know the Electron workflow pretty good, but I still don't like it. I need to be hands-on. I need to, like, play everything. I'm just not a sequencer person. No, I hear you. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, the, the Octatrack was, you know, I got that when it first came out, and I still have the same one. So, like, the thing is, it's the piece of gear that I've owned longer than anything else. That's um, impressive. Yeah, right. So it's, like... I feel like it's just a part of me. Um, and there's, yeah, there's, again, there's parts of me that want to kind of break out of that mold and try, uh, try something else. But it just, it does everything that I want to do so well that it's just hard for me to like take that step. So I don't know. Here it is sitting there right next to the, the CL Lombard stuff, just ready to process it and sample it. So, so do you do that in real time, or what's that? Like, do you feed everything in and sample as you're having your sessions, or do you just play and then load things in after? Um, it kind of depends. Um, right now, I have it set up right now where I'm sampling into the Octatrack, but for a long time, I didn't do it that way. I was just. Uh, I would just record right into the DAW and then I would just, re, you know, I would just be playing in the studio, hit record, and then, okay, I played for a couple minutes. Now let's play something else. Oh, this sounds good, hit record. And then I would just dump everything into the Octatrack later. And I would kind of like, I would kind of build pieces in the DAW, so to speak. So like I'd have a piece and then like I would loop that in the DAW and then I would kind of, play something else in the studio that would kind of accompany it in some ways. Right. And then I would hit record and then, and then I would mute that one and then I would go back to the original one that I had and then I would, you know, play something else, see if I could get something else to accompany it. And then so that I would kind of mark them in my DAW. So then when I put them in the Octatrack, I could kind of come back to those sessions and um, find what worked best. Um, so in some ways it's, in some ways it's kind of a collage when it gets into the Octatrack because I'm just kind of like plugging pieces in together to see what works best based on what I remember and what I label them. Uh-huh. But, uh, and sometimes I just stumble into combinations where I was like, Oh wow, these are like two years apart. Like I made this one like long time ago and this, I just made a week ago and somehow these work together just beautifully. Um, so yeah, I feel like I stumble into um, different textures and sounds in the Octatrack that go together well that I wouldn't have been able to discover any other way. I mean, yeah, I could have probably done that in the DAW, but the Octatrack, it just it feels much more like an instrument to me. And so I just enjoy that process of stepping away from the computer, I'm on this instrument, and now I'm composing so to speak in in here so in some ways it's kind of like the octatrack then becomes my daw and i'm arranging in there um so if that makes sense makes perfect sense um i know mm -hmm. you talked about earlier in our conversation you wanted to get into scratching but you never got decks uh 
Are we going to hear some of that via the Octatrack slider on your next release? <laughs> no, probably not. Honestly, like, it's funny. Like, everybody loves that slider. And I can't remember the last time I've touched it. I, I just, I don't use it for whatever reason. I don't know why. Maybe I, maybe that's what I need to do for my next, uh, <laughs> my next album. Integrate, integrate the slider. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, if you've been working on the machine that long and you've managed to put out all these records without it, I mean, it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't start using it, but you're doing fine. Yeah, no, for sure. But I feel like, yeah, it, it could open up a new door that I haven't thought about yet um, because I use it in such a, like, precise way because, you know, the Octatrack, it's it's such like a blank canvas. You can just do so much with it. And once I kind of figured out how I want to use it, um, I just haven't really strayed away from it that much. So I just, I kind of use it in two ways. I use it as like a, a DAW, and then I use it as a just a sample, just to capture stuff, you know? So like I have a preset set up that's called sample. So when I want to sample something, it's all set up. I just go to that preset and it's just ready to go. And I can just start sampling, which I like because, you know, Octatrack's pretty menu divey. And, um, yeah, templates are crucial on that thing, I feel. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so that's kind of how I've been using it. Well, that's awesome, John. We're getting pretty close to being done here. Uh, you covered a lot of questions I was going to ask just in chatting, so that's perfect. Um, okay, cool. That was good. Before we go, though, I'd love if you talked a little bit about your most recent release, Forest Clothes. Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, long story short, um, this is, it's been in the works for quite a while. Um, I, I had, what was it, last summer. So last summer... I put out, I finished up, not this, it would have been summer of 2019, like before I put out Barely Lit. Um, I put out Barely Lit and I have these other songs that I was working on, um, but they never really like fully came to fruition and came together. And so I just kind of kept them on the back burner for a while. Um, you know, I, I had kind of, converted them to WAV files. I sent them to some friends. I think I even sent them to Joe at one point to listen to. And he's like, oh yeah, these are great. These are great. But for me, it wasn't wasn't quite there. Um, and so then I spent the last, you know, that, so basically the end of 2019 and then 2020 um, kind of refining that and just kind of coming back to it and um, spending some time just really making it a cohesive album. So then I sent it off to Boris at sale and I was like, Hey, what do you think? And he's like, well, this is a little darker than what I'm used to from your, from you. I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a little darker. Um, but he liked it. And, and then I was like, well, you know, I've, I've got these other songs that I've also been with. So I, I, it's weird. Like I'm, I, I tend to work on multiple projects at once. It's, I'm, I'm kind of weird like that. Like some will be in the end stage that I'm finishing up and just kind of polishing. And then some will be in kind of the early rough stages of 
of, of kind of arranging and putting them together. Um, and so I was in kind of the earlier stages of this kind of second album. And I was like, well, I'm, you know, like, what do you think about putting out a, a double tape? You know, I was like, I have the summer off. I could, you know, spend a good month um, and just kind of finish up this second album. And he's like, yeah, let's let's kind of see where the second album goes. So I finished up the second album. And that one was, so the first one, when I say first, um, A and B, because it's like A, B, C, D for my new album, because it's two yeah. tapes. So A and B was kind of the older stuff. And then C and D was kind of the newer stuff. So the A and B was more like, stuff and some older recordings that I had done um, yeah there's probably a little bookla in there too um, but then on the C and D it was pretty much all like Bug Brand and C.L. Lombard um, and uh, yeah so it was it, for me it, it felt like really two different pieces and they they have like kind of a different vibe like the the C and D is a, I feel like a lot more hopeful and uh, cathartic in some ways. Right. Where A and B, I, I'm playing a lot more with noise and kind of walking that line between kind of noise and melody a little bit more, where the second one was a little bit softer, a little bit more mellow. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so Boris, yeah, he. I, it was funny because the first one I sent it to him and like, I didn't hear anything back for a few days and I was like, Oh boy, I wonder if he didn't like it. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things. And then he got back to me. He's like, Oh yeah, I really like it. He's like, it's just different. Um, and then the second one, I sent it to him and literally like an hour later, he's like, Oh yeah, hands down. Like we're doing this, you know? <laughs> so he needed uh, so, some time for the A and B side to grow on him, I guess. I think so. Yeah. I mean, cause his label, you know, like, I love the label, um, and it's 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 meant to be kind of more optimistic, hopeful, totally um, ambient music. And my album wasn't, you know, it. it I think it was just everything from from politically and socially and the pandemic, like all that, just weighed on me uh, for that first one. And I was just going through a really rough time, just processing the world we live in and I was just having a really tough time and I had some really bad experiences teaching um long story short there was a kid that like threatened to kill me holy um, crap yeah so it just really weighed on me really hard and so that's just what came out you know like that was just my world at that time and then when I put out the second one like it was summertime you know I'm not working it was just much slower. I was pretty much just hanging out in the woods with my friends. Um, we, you know, we just go on some hikes and we'd bring some beer and a chair and we'd hang out in the woods for a few hours. And it was just, it just like really slowed down for me. And and that's where that kind of second album came out of was this this very like peaceful moment in these like dark dark times that we were living in. Um, where for the first one it was kind of the opposite it was like dark times we're living in and my life is really messed up too right now with this this kid and just yeah just I don't know when the pandemic first hit and just 
I don't want to get too political, but just the political culture here in the U.S. and uh, the, the the kind of the racial stuff that was going on, it just really hit me hard, just really hit me hard. And I had no other way of processing it than I felt like through my music. And that's just kind of what came out for that first album. And then the second one, like I said, was just this kind of like release of this like breath of fresh air of like school years over. I'm settling into um, the summertime and we still had the racial stuff going on and the political stuff, but I could find these moments of comfort in the woods with my friends. Um, and it was funny, the album title kind of came out of coming back from hanging out in the woods for a few hours. My wife would be like, oh, it smells like you've been in, been in the woods, almost like, you know, like the forest and so it's like oh yeah I'm wearing forest clothes <laughs> and I just I, th I felt like it was such a fitting album title um, that I just had to go with it it just I don't know it was kind of at first I was like I don't know that's kind of weird but it just it just fit for where I was at at that moment um, so yeah that, I, I don't know if that answered your question or not but no that was beautiful John I think uh We'll end on that note. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm happy to do it. Um, you know, I love talking gear. You know, a lot of those times in the woods with my friends, um, that's all we do is we talk gear. And so it's pretty natural for me. We were even actually talking about, like, doing some sort of podcast where it was just just ramblings about whatever was on our mind, whether it was the, our gear, the gear we were playing with, or, you know, we're, we're kind of in some ways beer snobs. So sometimes it would kind of get into the, the beers we're drinking. And, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So like I said, this just kind of comes in some ways natural to me. I'm not an expert on synths. Like, you know, people like Joe and other people on the forum, I feel like have way more knowledge than I do about uh, kind of the technical aspects of it. But I just, you know, I just love talking about workflow, love talking about what inspires me and what inspires other people. Um, and I just appreciate those conversations because it just, a lot of times it can open doors for me that I've just never thought of. Um, and for me, that's like priceless to be able to have those conversations with people. <laughs>